Okay, we're working our way through the book of Romans, and because we're running uh, low on time, we've skipped over a couple chapters to chapter 12, and that's where we'll be considering our thoughts today. Uh, chapter 9, 10, and 11, we did chapter 8 the last time we met a couple weeks ago, which was really a high point of Romans, as he says to us, uh, look, you know, you got an awful lot. The struggle that you had internally, we've tipped the scales and the Holy Spirit has come into your life and he's doing so much for you to help you to, to live the way you should. And he he's, says, if God be for us, who can be against us? One of the great passages of Romans. Chapter 9 through 11 is a little parenthesis in the text. Uh, we're skipping over it. Not because it's not good, it's very good, but we're doing it for time's sake because we're running low on time. Only a couple more Bible studies and then we're done for the year. Imagine that already, huh? so it's coming along. Uh, but chapter nine through 11 in this parenthesis, what happens is Paul says he's gonna discuss his feeling for the Jews. And all through Romans, he's been mentioning the law, the Jews, the old way, the new way, and so forth. And he mentions it a lot because he's got critics out there who are after him. And they hounded him, and they hounded him, and they hounded him, and they chased him all over Asia, all over Europe, and they went behind him, they went in front of him, tried to destroy his reputation. He used to be one of them. <laughs> he was one of them. And uh, so he has a real heart for him. And he says in chapter nine, he says, if I could trade, if I could do it, I'd trade my salvation so they'd all be saved, which is a remarkable thing to say. And uh, it's, it's full of these brilliant statements like that, uh, he was transformed, of course, by Jesus. Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, and that brilliant man was suddenly, his eyes were opened. And so now, in chapter 9, 10, and 11, he's telling them, you Jews had everything, had so many things, and I want you to have more. And so he explains uh, Christianity to the Jews in those passages. And there's some of the great uh, statements of the Bible. Uh, uh, they being ignorant of God's righteousness, going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. That's been true of a lot more than Jews, my friends. A lot of people through history being ignorant of what God wanted, went about to make their own religion and didn't submit to God's ways. And so uh, he <coughs> says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It was a very famous verse right there in the ones we're skipping. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And how shall they hear without a preacher? And that's in these three chapters. So if you're reading and you like to read at home, read 9 through 11. It's wonderful material. 
based on his feeling and his attitude, his desire to help the people who are every day a thorn in his flesh. Every day, every day. Uh, but he, his, his heart really comes out there for his own people. And uh, if we look, one of the great, in chapter 11, Verse 33, oh, the depths of both the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord or who hath been his counselor? Some of the great comments he makes about God. It's taken, of course, from Isaiah. And then we come to chapter 12, which if you were reading 8, the next step would be 12. Because there's a little section in there about the Jews. So we shouldn't be out of sync if we skip those three. Some other day we'll find time to go back and do it all. Uh, but we do have schedules we're trying to keep it. So we come to chapter 12 today. And so he has finished on a high note in chapter 8. Uh, who can separate us from the love of God? Who can take it away from us? Nobody can. Uh, not angels, not powers, height, depth, uh, all these things. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. So we're feeling really good. You think, wow, we got it made of God before us. Who can be against us? This is a great life that we're going to live. Okay, good. Now chapter 12. <clears throat> it is a good life. It's a wonderful life. So, verse Chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, uh, he says, I want you to sacrifice yourself. I want you to sacrifice your body. Since the beginning of time, when he made the first sacrifice was made by God for Adam. You know that, right? That uh, uh, Adam sinned and God sacrificed the first animals. And then took the hides and made clothes for them to cover their sin. Right, so God did the first sacrifice. Ever since that, the whole very statement of sacrifice is something that's dead. If it's sacrifice, it's dead. So he says, I want you to make yourself a sacrifice. You want me dead? No, I want you to be a living sacrifice. I want you to be a living sacrifice. Because he says it's reasonable. And I love that word. This is reasonable, what I'm telling It's I would say it's the least you could do. It's the least you could do. It's become a living sacrifice. So, the concept in that, the reasonableness of it, is what I want to think about for a minute. Because there is a compelling reason and a powerful reason uh, for us to do that. And what we need to do to do this, to be this living sacrifice, which is only 
the least you can do, he says. <laughs> I want you to be this living sacrifice. Uh, one of the things I think we need to do is go to the cross of Christ. And to some people, the cross of Christ is a fact in history. That's all it is. To some people, it's something that we've thought about. And, and, but I want to go there and make it very personal. I want to make it very personal. So the concept is you go to the cross of Christ, take a look, and don't say, well, the Jews did this, and they did that, and Pilate did this, and Judas did that. Let's say what I did. What I did. Now, occasionally in history of hymnology, there's some real geniuses uh, who wrote hymns. And in some of these hymns, they have captured what I'm about to say. And I'm going to quote a hymn for you and explain it because it's somebody who goes to the cross, takes a look at it, and says, I'm going to put myself right there at that cross. And if any of you listen to Selah, you may have heard this song. It's an old hymn. It's not even in our books. It's older than our books, mostly. It would be in books before ours were written. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. And so we have the Father loving us in this vast way. And he says, I'd like to take these human wretches, these humans, and I want to make them my treasure. So I'm going to give my son, my only son, and that has to hit, we say that easy. It has to hit home. I remember when Levi was a baby and he rolled off the table because he was stronger than most babies and then he fell on the floor. And I heard that and I went home and the side of his head was all swelled out and his eyes were rolling in his head. And just for a second, I knew what it was like to lose your only son. It was horrible. It was a horrible thing. That's what God did. He took his only son and said, I'm going to make these wretches, these human beings, my treasure. It's going to cost me my son. How great the pain of searing loss. God's looking at the cross. How great the pain of searing loss. He's feeling it. The father says, turns his face away. And Jesus hanging on the cross said, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? Because this, as wounds that mar the chosen one, bring many sons to glory. I can't imagine what it was like in heaven when they were whipping Jesus. 
I am sure of one thing. Jesus said himself, if I wanted to right now, I could call 12 legions of angels and stop this right now. So Jesus said. And so as they're whipping Jesus, I can see these angels with a sword in their hand and white knuckle say, just say it, just say it, just say it. And we'll come down there and we'll tear that place apart. Just say, come. You're the commander in chief of this army. You say, come and we're coming. And so in heaven, there's an awful lot of pain because of what's happening to Jesus. As wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. So you and I got to go there because of those wounds all over his back. Behold the man upon a cross. How we stop and look at Jesus hanging on the cross. My sins upon his shoulders. My sins are there. He's, uh, well, things that I did are resting, uh, are the burden that are on his shoulders. And then the next phrase is absolutely, it, I, every time I hear it, I can't quite take it. With shame, I hear my mocking voice call out amidst the scoffers. They made fun of Jesus on a cross. He's hanging on a cross and they were shouting things to him like, you saved other people. Can't you save yourself? You're supposed to be the son of God. If you're the son of God, come down off the cross. And they don't know how close it was. Man, if he'd ever just said yes, I don't know what would have happened there. Those angels, it took one angel one evening to kill every firstborn in Egypt. There's one angel. What do you think the whole army of them would have done if Jesus said, come? But he didn't. So with shame, I hear my mocking voice call out amongst the scoffers. I'm looking at the cross and I realize it's my sins are on there and my rebellion put him on there. My rebellion that put him on the cross. And I realize that the people that are mocking him as he's hanging there is the same kind of people as me. A shame I hear my mocking voice call out amongst the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there. He stayed there until it was accomplished. And then another brilliant phrase, his dying breath hath brought me to life. I know that it is finished. And so as he's coming to the end, he says in a very loud voice, it is finished. And then he says, into my hands I commend my spirit. And you hear him go, <sighs> and his head goes forward and he dies. And at that moment, you and I are going, <gasps> We can breathe. We lived. 
we lived. He died. His dying breath had brought me life. And as he breathes his last, we're gasping for air. We lived. <coughs> we got life. We got life. What a great song. I will not boast in anything, no gift, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? Now, we know that he's crucified, he was buried, he rose from the dead, and then he ascended up to heaven. And as he ascended into heaven, he's presenting the tokens of his redemption, which are five bleeding wounds. He presents the tokens of his redemption, and the Father says, sit down at my right hand and reign till thine enemies are made thy footstool. And it says that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what he gained when he went to heaven. He said, why should I gain anything? I was a scoffer at the cross. My sins are on his shoulders. Why should I gain anything? Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. I got no answer for it. I can't explain why I should get something out of what he did. Uh, but it's uh, this. Uh, but this I know... With all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. Free. Free at last. Free at last. So, when we have looked at Jesus on the cross and thought about it and recognized how much he gave for wretches like you and me, then it's only reasonable you see, to give him your life. It's only reasonable. And Paul says, this is reasonable. I'm asking you to be a living sacrifice. That is, to give your life to Jesus. Don't keep it for yourself. Give it to him. I'm asking you to do that. And that, for all practical purposes, is the least you could do for what he did for you. And so the, the opening of chapter 12 is very powerful, where he said, look, you know, give your life to Jesus. Give him your life. It's the least you could do. Look what he did for you. Look what he bought for you. His wounds have paid my ransom. He stayed on the cross until it was finished. And why should I gain from any of that? I don't know, but I have. And I've become fabulously wealthy in the love of God. He said, nothing can separate you from that. If God be for us, who can be against us? So because of the tremendous position we've been put in, the most reasonable thing, in fact, the least you could do is give him your life. Give your life to Jesus. That's a very powerful presentation. He says, this is reasonable. I'm not asking you to do something that's way out of bounds. 
I'm not asking you to do something extreme. I'm just asking you to do the most reasonable thing. Give your life to him. He gave his to you. And his was much more valuable than yours. Much more valuable. And it was breaking the father's heart. Angels were just dressed out beyond all you could ever imagine as they're waiting. So let, let me go. We'll fix it. We'll fix it. God said, no. Even he's going to die on that cross, and he died there. Could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free, but he died alone for you and me. So here's the statement. He said, you want to live for God. You've got so much from it. You got so much from it. So we're going to say to God, all right, how do I do it? I'm in. I believe what Jesus did on the cross. I love what he did for me. So tell me how to give my life to him. How do I do it? Tell me what to do. All right, here we go. Chapter 12, tell you what to do. This is give your life to God. Give him your life. Because you owe it to him. It's only reasonable, he says, that you do this. So here's what it is. <clears throat> Verse 2. Be not conformed to this world. Oh, that one makes me crazy. Conformed to this world. I grew up in a house... And we sat at the kitchen table many, 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 many times. And my father said, we, this family, does not conform. <laughs> we are nonconformist. We do not conform. I don't know how many times he said it, over and over. And then I come to this passage. I want to give my life to Jesus. All right, don't conform to the world. Be not conformed to this world. This world has a way that they want to do things. Uh, this world has a way that they want to function, that they want to operate. And he says, you cannot do it. All right. In the world, if somebody strikes you, you hit him back. In the world, if you say something I don't like, I get angry. If you hurt me, we divorce. That is the conforming to the world, the thinking that the world has. We're going to accept that as our thinking. He says that's the world's method. Don't do it. You're going to have to change the way you think, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're going to have to learn most of all, first of all, and most of all, to think differently. If you're going to give your life to God and say, here's my life, a living sacrifice, you're going to have to learn to think in a new way and not in the way that the world thinks. All right? And the world is just full of ideas about how you should operate, how you should function, how you should treat other people. All right? We have all kinds of, everybody's out there crying racism, racism, racism. They're crying, you know, hundreds of people on every hand. 
unfair, racism, all sorts of, and here's the thing, you say, I'm not gonna think that way. That's not how I'm gonna think. I'm not gonna conform my thinking to the way the world thinks. I'm gonna have to get it right in my mind. Why? That you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, all right? There's a way that God wants you to live and you're going to have to prove it. In order to prove it, you've got to grow up. So prove that you gave your life to him. Prove it. Grow up. Grow up, he says. Prove with the perfect will of God. I'm going to live for God and try to do his will, and I'd like to do it perfectly. We got to grow up to do that. We got to grow in ourselves, change the way we think. And how is that going to happen? So he's about to go through a list of things. And you say, well, that's not growing up. Oh, yes, it is. It's changing the way you think. It's making a difference in the way your mind operates. Here we go. Verse 3. For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. <laughs> start right at the beginning and change the way you think. Well, how's, the, how's the world tell you to think? I'm number one. I, you, there's commercials all through TV, every time you turn on, saying, uh, don't forget yourself. You deserve better. And it's just the opposite of what he said here. Don't think that you're a big shot and that you're better than everybody else. So we're here when he says, uh, I'm number one. No. If there's 10 of you, then be number 10. Jesus said what? The first should be last. The last should be first. We have to change the way we think. And so our idea that I'm, I'm going to make sure that I get what's coming to me. No, no. He says you're going to have to learn to think differently. And so you don't pat yourself on the back all day. Yeah, yeah. Look at me. I'm wonderful. No, you're not. And if you think that way, it's going to come out in your behavior. So he's transforming the way we look at ourselves, And he says, you're going to have to learn not to think of yourself so highly. That's a very good little bit of advice. But think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now he's going to take us right where we need to go right in the beginning. Let's go to church, all right? Because this is very much part of this growing up and changing the way we think. Church isn't just a place you go on Sunday. That is not what it is. It is not that. Church is a place where you go see your friends. Well, I hope you do, and I hope you do come on Sunday, but that's not what it is. It's a living, vibrant group of people who are about to do what he's going to say. He said, every man has a measure of faith, or that is every man, as we come together as a group, has something that they contribute. Part of their 
giving themselves a living sacrifice as you part of this group and you contribute something to it. Whatever it is. So he goes through a list. Verse 4. We have many members in one body. He's talking about a church. And all members have not the same office. People say, I don't need to go to church. I can stay home and watch it on TV. I'm glad it's out there. And we've helped a lot of people by having it out there. But being here is what it's all about. Being here. Serving. Finding your place. Is what it's all about. So he says, you have many members. All members have not the same office, verse 5. So we being many are one. Everyone members one of another. So he says God gave everybody something. And then when we come together, we have, using this, what we have as a whole, having, verse 6, then gifts differing, According to the grace which is given to us, whether prophesy, let us prophesy according to the portion of faith. If God said to you, preach, which prophesy is preaching, preaching out God's word. If God said to you, preach, then do it for all your worth. Give it all you got. All right? He said, God gave you an ability, use it, use it. And I discovered long, long, long time ago now I said, when God gave me something, I used to, in the, right in the beginning, I used to say, I'd like to use that next month when I talk. And God said, use it today. Use it today. Don't use it next month. I got something else for you next month. If I give you something in your heart that stirs you up, use it today. All right. Preach according to the measure of faith you have. Do with all your heart. Or ministry. That is, let us wait on our ministering. If we're here to serve other people in some way, then do it. Focus on the way that you can serve other people. Or he that teaches on teaching. Some people are teachers. Over in that house, there's a lot of very good teachers. Over there, we're taking the best the cream of the crop and we're putting them over there to teach our children. What a wonderful thing. That's exactly. And I watch and see what they do. I quietly say nothing, but I watch and they're working on it all the time. They got ideas coming out of their minds and they got thoughts and they're, it's wonderful. It's fantastic. It's what he says to do. All right, uh, verse 8, or he that exhorteth on exhortation. <clears throat> We're going to try to encourage people, and some people have a wonderful gift of encouragement. Now, some people, you talk to them, and you go away feeling unencouraged, right? <laughs> That's just the way it is, all right? But there are people you talk to, and they are encouraging. That's a gift that God gave them so that they can say something to you, and it lifts up your spirit. Beautiful. Beautiful. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. Some people, it is their job to give. It's what God has given them. And they give, and they give, and they give, and they give, and they give. They're always giving. And they're always bringing something in to give it away. They're always giving. And he said, do it with simplicity. Just keep your mouth shut, bring in, and give your stuff away. Give, find a way to give. He says, it's great. Do that with all your heart. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. If you're here to help people, don't come and say, has your day been as bad as mine? <laughs> that won't help anybody. We're going to say, yeah, 
if that's what God gave you to do, be cheerful. All right. So he's saying is through the body of Christ, all these things need to be done. And God gave somebody one thing. I think my opinion, and I'm trying uh, to look at things reasonably, that this church is successful in that. Because a lot of churches I went to, you could teach a Sunday school class, you could take the offering. That's about it. There <laughs> was nothing else to do. They hired people to clean the church. You know, hired people to clean the church or paid somebody in the church to clean it. Uh, and, you know, there's nothing to do. There's a lot to do here. We got a lot to do. You're a gardener, we got work for you. You can mow that lawn, we got work for you. Uh, you can fix buildings, we got a lot of work for you. You can paint, we got work for you to do. In the kitchen, we need people in the kitchen, we got work for you to do. And so we have found ways uh, to have a lot of work being done. Uh, pie people, I love pie people. <laughs> what church is there that's got pie people? We got pie people. East Shelby, you know. Uh, uh, coffee makers, cleaners, carpenters, uh, child care people, all these things we have. And that's what he's saying here. As you come together, there's many needs represented, and each person has something that they can do to supply that need. So he says, if you want to live your life, then Find out what you can do and do it. Find out what you can do and do it, he says. Verse 9, let love be without dissimulation. There's a word you don't use in your regular language, without dissimulation. <clears throat> dissimulation means uh, the appearance of being false, what it would say in a dictionary. So, in other words, he says, when you love somebody... Don't put on a fake smile and say, I love you. Don't do that. Really do it real. Do it real. He said, don't let love be fake. Let love be real. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. As we are in life, there's things we need to avoid at all costs, and then things we need to hang on to for all we're worth. It's 10, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. So we have a real kindness towards each other, like we're brothers and sisters. Now you say, well, I fought with my brothers and sisters. So did I. <laughs> so did I. I should say I got beat by my brother. A lot more than I beat him. But anyway, we grow up. And there's a kinship uh, among family. He says, you're, you're, you, you gotta behave like a family. Are you starting to get something now in the text so far? Is something becoming clear to you as we go through these verses? It's clear to you that a grown up person maturing spiritually to do God's will his number one priority is relationships with people. 
that's where we need a transformation in our mind. That's where we need to transform our thinking and not conform to the way the world behaves. All right? So we, it, it's all about uh, relationships, isn't it? The whole thing. So he says, don't have a false love. Be tender uh, like we're all family. And I think we do that very well here. I got to say, we do that very well here. I'm proud of the way you treat each other. Verse 11, not slothful in business. Can't be lazy. If you're going to say, I want to give my life to God as a living sacrifice, I'll be over in my chair, God, when you need me. I have people say to me, Eric, you know, when you need me, call me. And I say, well, what do you want to know? Well, what needs to be done? I said, well, go find it yourself. I'm not going to call you. Well, find it yourself. Something needs done. You go look and see if it needs done. Well, if you'd call me, I'd do it. No, I... <laughs> no that's not how we're going to do it. Not slothful in business. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. That is, get your act together and work for God. He says, serve him with an urgency, a fervency. I want to do this. I love to do it. I've seen people around here working and they're just as happy as can be. I've seen it over and over again. I really like that. I really like it when people are happy as they work and that's what he's saying here. Serve the Lord, fervent in spirit. 12. Rejoicing in hope. All right. So what are we always talking about? I'm talking about a future. And the church has to, and us as individuals, have to look into the future. What's the future got for us? Uh, I don't know, but let's think about it. Let's be happy about what's going to be in the future. And when that property came into our possession down the bottom of the hill there, who ever thought that we would have services in the parking lot for months? Who ever thought of that? You know, And once that property was there. I said, I don't know what God's doing, but hang on to your head. He's, he's got a plan. Here we go. Let's go. And the funny thing was, I don't know if I've said this, probably have. I said something all the time, but uh, the guy that donated called, said, I want to donate property. Meet me there. I'll be there in 10 seconds. I met him down there. So what do you think about out to that point? I said, yep, that's good. I'm fine with that. Okay, good. So we'll work it out. Next day he called up. He said, I changed my mind. I thought, oh boy, there it goes. Meet me down there. I went down there. He says, not enough. I got to give you more. Who knew? Who knew? But that was the hope of the future. And every church has got a hope. You got a hope. In your life, there's a hope in your future if we got our heads together and we're thinking the way we're supposed to. All right? So he says, rejoicing in hope, verse 12, patient in tribulation. You're going to have some hard times? You bet you are. You're going to get kicked in the shins. You're going to get knocked around. Yes, you are. Hang on. It'll come to an end eventually. Continuing instant in prayer. Paul loves to put that in. He says, just keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. Whenever it comes to your mind, pray. When you think of somebody, pray. You know, 
and don't thrash around in your bed all night saying, I can't sleep, I can't sleep, I can't sleep. Pray, pray, pray. You can use the time. <laughs> you can waste it thrashing around being miserable, I can't sleep, or you can pray. You can pray. You can ask God for the things that, are, that people need. Like this, distributing, verse 13, to the necessity of the saints. If we can help somebody, then let's help them. Let's find a way to help them. Uh, given to hospitality, that means if you can, open your home. Open your home to people. Some people need uh, food on their table. We can find a way to do it. Some people need a bed to sleep in. We can find a way to do it. He says, that's how I expect you to treat each other. Verse 14, bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. So somebody is treating you poorly. It's okay, just ask God to bless them. And Jesus, that, those course words come right out of Jesus' mouth. Verse 15, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Somebody's sad, we sit down with them and shed a tear with them. Somebody's happy, we grab them and hug them and laugh. Let's laugh and enjoy. But he says, do you understand what I'm trying to get you to do? That your life is poured into other people and your relationships are developing the way they should because your mind has been transformed and you're not thinking like the world thinks, which is I'm first. I got to have what I want. That's not what you're thinking anymore. You change the way you think. All right, verse 16. Be the same mind one towards another. That is, uh, treat each other as equals. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. <clears throat> I always tell you, I grew up in a house where they were kind to the strangest people. I've told you stories about the people who came into our house. Unusual people, people always, maybe not everything was all working up there, but they were always welcome there. And he says, that's what you do. You get a hold of the ones that are like that. And when little Marnie comes in, let's grab a hold of her and hug her and do whatever we can for her. That's what he's talking about. Be not wise in your own conceit. Right? Don't think, oh, I'm pretty special. No. You're just like, be like everybody else. 17, recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Somebody did something to me, I'll do it back. No, 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 no. Transform that thinking. Provide things honest in the sight of all people. Be known for your honesty. <clears throat> and then this wonderful 18. If it be possible as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. There you go. That's where we're headed. We're headed when we're growing and our minds are thinking correctly. And we've said to God, I want you to have my life. Where are we heading? We're heading to peace with everybody. No strife. Peace with everybody that we meet. Peace is a wonderful thing. I love peace. I love it. 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. All right? Don't figure out a way to get back at people. You say, well, they deserved it. Yeah, then let God take care of it, huh? Mm -hmm. 
not you. Let God take care of it. If it's something that needs fixing, he'll fix it. He's got a way. Vengeance is mine, said God, I will repay. 20. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head. It's an old way of saying, you're going to make him feel like I got fire on my head. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. All right. You treat somebody nice, and you go out of the way to help people. And when that happens, he feels like, I, I got to respond to this. It's really burning on me that these people are so nice. That's a wonderful thing. 21, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. So there you want to transform your life, change the way you think, change the way you operate. It's all about relationships. That's a top priority that he's giving us here. So, so you ask God, well, how do I give my life to God? By giving it to you and 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 you. That's what we do. We share, give together, we live for each other. Now, I'm going to go quickly into 13. because it's, it's, it's a couple more ideas that come added to this. Uh, I think the main thrust is what we just had in chapter 12. You, you want to give yourself to Christ because that's always the least you could do. It's reasonable after what he did for you. Then let's make our relationships peaceful, kind, full of love, serving other people in every way we can. All right, then we're going to add a couple things to that list of chapter 13. Let every soul be subject to the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. I used this passage Sunday when we talked about the role of government in the world. All right, God set up governments for what purpose? Two, whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. It's expected in governments that they're going to take care of uh, evil and, and restrict evil. If God let evil just run free, it wouldn't take long and the whole world would be a mess. That's what happened at the flood. Right? God's a God. See how it goes. In ten generations, the world was so bad he had to destroy it. So he's put government in the world. Three, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. So you don't have to be afraid of the government. Be a good citizen, is what he's saying. Part of your treatment of people is to be a good citizen. Verse 4, he's the minister of God to thee for good. If thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. He's a minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Therefore, you must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. Behave yourself, follow the law. Why? Because it keeps your conscience clear, which is essential in our behavior, that our conscience be clear. And you say, well, you avoid wrath. In other words, avoid punishment. 
that's a good reason, you know, to stay out of trouble so you don't get punished. It's a better reason for, to keep your conscience clear. Verse 6, for this cause, pay tribute also. Pay your taxes. They are God's ministers attending continuously on this very thing. All right. And render, therefore, to all their dues. Tribute to whom tribute is due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. All right. So he says... Be a good citizen. Go along as best you can. There's times we know that the government is wrong. And in the Bible, there's explanations of that. There's, they bring in the, the apostles after the uh, ascension of Jesus into the temple. And they say, we forbid you to preach in the name of Jesus. Don't ever use that name again. And they say, we ought to obey God rather than man. So there's a time. And the Bible tells us when they restrict certain things, we can say, no, I'm not going to allow that to be. Right, next section, verse 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another has fulfilled the law. We don't want to ever be in a position where we owe people. You say, well, I have to owe. I can't live in my house unless I pay my mortgage. Yeah, okay. I understand that, but uh, do as much as you can to fulfill your obligations. For this, nine, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. That's the lie. Thou shalt not covet. Be any other commandment is briefly comprehended in this saving, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. All right, so now, the first one he said, be a good citizen. Now he's saying, be a good neighbor. If you're going to commit adultery, don't. That's your neighbor, all right? Thou shalt not kill. Thou steal from your neighbor. Don't lie about your neighbor. Be a good neighbor. Love thy neighbor, he says, as thyself. Verse 10, love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law, all right? And so he said, be good to your people in church. Be good to your family. Love those people. Be a good citizen. Be a good neighbor. And now he's going to put a little urgency on it, verse 11. And that, knowing the time, that now is high time to awake out of sleep. For our salvation is nearer than we believe. I said, so uh, if you've been kind of coasting through the Christian life, We've just been kind of rolling along and everything seems to go along. He says, it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up and look at life more seriously and see how you can serve the Lord. He says, for our salvation is nearer than we believed. Or that is, we're coming to the end. See, you mean the end of time? Well, it might be. All right, it could be, but certainly we come to the end of life. All right, we're coming to the end of life. You know, I look in the mirror and I say, well, who's that guy in there? Mm -hmm. I don't remember he looked like that before. Mm -hmm. right, what happened to him? Got older, all right? Time slipping by. And he says, it's later than you think. That's what he says. It's later than you think. So it's time to wake up, give your life to God, Transform your thinking so that it focuses on other people. 
Verse 12, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the work of darkness and put on the armor of light. You sleep in the dark, wake up. It's daylight, let's go. All right, let's do this. Let us, verse 13, walk honestly as in the day, not riding drunkenness, not chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. He's saying that there are things that the world considers to be fun. Getting drunk, sexual things is what he's, he's talking about here. Uh, rioting, partying, he says, those are the things that the world considers about as being fun. That's not fun. It's right, not really fun. Verse 14, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make not provisions for the flesh to fulfill the lust of the flesh. Right, we're going to live for Jesus, and we are not going to bend to what the world's enticing us. Come on, do this, do this. No, we're not going to do that. We're going to keep ourselves free from that. So that's a very powerful passage in its simplicity. He starts out, this is reasonable. You owe this to God. Give him your life. Make it a living sacrifice where you put it on the altar and say, here it is, God. I've given you my life, okay? And he says, all right, now let's fix your thinking. And let's learn how to treat people, learn how to be kind, learn how to serve, learn how to be a good neighbor, learn how to be a good citizen. And that your reputation might be as a kind, godly person. Now you're growing up. Right? Now you're growing up. And that's what we're required to do if we're going to give our lives a living sacrifice. So, the chapter 8, you got the spirit. Put you on this high plane. Uh, you, God is before us. Who can be? Nobody can separate us from the love of God. Nobody can even accuse us because of what the Spirit of God has done. And so you got every advantage. Now take it and give your life to Him. And how do you live the right kind of life? In kindness, generosity, love. Not fake love, real love. And uh, giving, serving, good citizens, good neighbors. All right? Got it? Y'all got it. We got it, right? We got it. We figured it out. Good. Good. All right? So uh, we'll go on chapter 14. I hope to finish 14, 15, and 16 in the next two weeks. All right? Thank you.